chapter thirty two of ardath by marie corelli this librivox recording is in the public domain zebasticism and paulism the delighted air of triumphant conviction with which alwyn received this candid statement was irresistible and villiers's attempt at equanimity entirely gave way before it he broke into a roar of laughter laughter in which his friend joined and for a minute or two the room rang with the echoes of their mutual mirth it wasn't my doing said villiers at last when he could control himself a little and even now i don't in the least know how the misconception arose nurhalma was published according to your instructions as rapidly as it could be got through the press and i had no preliminary puffs or announcements of any kind circulated in the papers i merely advertised it with a notable simplicity thus nurhalma a love legend of the past a poem by theos alwyn that was all well when it came out copies of it were sent according to custom round to all the leading newspaper offices and for about three weeks after its publication i saw not a word concerning it anywhere meanwhile i went on advertising one day at the constitutional club while glancing over the parthenon i suddenly espied in it a long review occupying four columns and headed a wonder poem and just out of curiosity i began to read it i remember in fact i shall never forget its opening sentence it was so original and he laughed again it commenced thus it has been truly said that those whom the gods love die young and then on it went dragging in memories of chatterton and shelley and keats till i found myself yawning and wondering what the deuce the writer was driving at presently about the end of the second column i came to the assertion that the posthumous poem of norhalma must be admitted as one of the most glorious productions in the english language this woke me up considerably and i read on groping my way through all sorts of wordy phrases and used up arguments till my mind gradually grasped the fact that the critic of the parthenon had evidently never heard of theos alwyn before and being astonished and perhaps perplexed by the original beauty and glowing style of norhalma had jumped without warrant to the conclusion that its author must be dead the wind-up of his lengthy dissertation was as far as i can recollect as follows it is a thousand pities this gifted poet is no more splendid as the work of his youthful genius is there is no doubt but that had he lived he would have endowed the world anew with an inheritance of thought worthy of the grandest master-minds well when i had fully realized the situation i began to think to myself shall i enlighten this sir oracle of the press and tell him the dead author he so enthusiastically eulogizes is alive and well or was so at any rate the last time i heard from him i debated the question seriously and after much cogitation decided to leave him for the present in ignorance first of all because critics like to consider themselves the wisest men in the world and hate to be told anything secondly because i rather enjoyed the fun the publisher of nurhalma a very excellent fellow sent me the critique and wrote asking me whether it was true that the author of the poem was really dead and if not whether he should contradict the report i waited a bit before answering that letter and while i waited two more critiques appeared in two of the most assertively pompous and dictatorial journals of the day echoing the eulogies of the parthenon declaring this dead poet worthy to rank with the highest of the immortals and a number of other similar grandiose declarations one reviewer took an infinite deal of pains to prove 
that if the genius of theos alwyn had only been spared to england he must have infallibly been elected poet laureate as soon as the post became vacant and that too without a single dissentient voice save such as were raised in envy or malice but being dead continued this estimable scribe all we can say is that he yet speaketh and that norhalma is a poem of which the literary world cannot be otherwise than justly proud that the tears that we shed for this gifted singer's untimely decease be mingled with gratitude for the priceless value of the work his creative genius has bequeathed to us here villiers paused his blue eyes sparkling with inward amusement and looked at alwyn whose face though perfectly serene had now the faintest softest shadow of a grave pathos hovering about it by this time he continued i thought we had had about enough sport so i wrote off to the publisher to at once contradict the erroneous rumour but now that publisher had his story to tell he called upon me and with a blandly persuasive air said that as norhalma was having an extraordinary sale was it worth while to deny the statement of your death just yet he was very anxious but i was firm and lest he should waver i wrote several letters myself to the leading journals to establish the certainty so far as i was aware of your being in the land of the living and then what do you think happened alwyn met his bright satirical glance with a look that was half questioning half wistful but said nothing it was the most laughable and at the same time the most beautifully instructive lesson ever taught by the whole annals of journalism the press turned round like a weathercock with the wind and exhausted every epithet of abuse they could find in the dictionaries nurahama was a poor ill-conceived work an outrage to intellectual perception a good idea spoilt in the treatment an amazingly obscure attempt at sublimity etc but there you can yourself peruse all the criticisms both favourable and adverse for i have acted the part of the fond granny to you in the careful cutting out and pasting of everything i could find written concerning you and your work in a book devoted to the purpose and i believe i've missed nothing mark you however the parthenon never reversed its judgment nor did the other two leading journals of literary opinion it wouldn't do for such big wigs to confess they had blundered you know and the vituperation of the smaller fry was just the other weight in the balance which made the thing equal the sale of nurhalma grew fast and furious all expenses were cleared three times over and at the present moment the publisher is getting conscientiously anxious for some publishers are more conscientious than some authors will admit to hand you over a nice little cheque for an amount which is not to be despised in this workaday world i assure you i did not write for money interrupted alwyn quietly nor shall i ever do so of course not assented villiers promptly no poet and indeed no author whatsoever who lays claim to a fraction of conscience writes for money only those with whom money is the first consideration debase their art into a coarse huckstering trade and are no better than contentious bakers and cheesemongers who jostle each other in a vulgar struggle as to which shall sell perishable goods at the highest profit none of the lasting works of the world were written so nevertheless if the public voluntarily choose to lavish what they can of their best on the author who imparts to them inspired thoughts and noble teachings then that author must not be churlish or slow to accept the gratitude implied i think the most appropriate maxim for a poet to address to his readers is freely ye have received freely give there was a moment's silence alwyn resumed his seat in the chair near the fire and villiers leaning one arm on the mantelpiece still stood looking down upon him such my dear fellow he went on complacently 
is the history of the success of nurahama it certainly began with the belief that you were no longer able to benefit by the eulogy received but all the same that eulogy has been uttered and cannot be unuttered it has led all the lovers of the highest literature to get the book for themselves and to prove your actual worth independently of press opinions and the result is an immense and steadily widening verdict in your favour speaking personally i have never read anything that gave me quite so much artistic pleasure as this poem of yours except hyperion only hyperion is distinctly classical while nurhama takes us back into some hitherto unexplored world of antique paganism which though essentially pagan is wonderfully full of pure and lofty sentiment when did the idea first strike you a long time ago returned alwyn with a slight serious smile i assure you it is by no means original villiers gave him a quick surprised glance no well it seems to me singularly original he said in fact one of your critics says you are too original mind you alwyn that is a very serious fault in this imitative age alwyn laughed a little his thoughts were very busy again in imagination he beheld the burning temple of nagaya in his dream of alcaris again he saw himself carrying the corpse of his former self through fire and flame and again he heard the last words of the dying zabastes i was the poet's adverse critic and who but i should write his eulogy save me if only for the sake of saluma's future honour thou knowest not how warmly how generously how nobly i can praise the dead true how easy to praise the poor death stirless clay when sense and spirit have fled from it for ever no fear to spoil a corpse by flattery the heavily sealed-up eyes can never more unclose to lighten with glad hope or fond ambition the quiet heart cannot leap with gratitude or joy at that word spoken in due season which aids its noblest aspirations to become realized the dead poet pressed the cold clods of earth over him and then rant above his grave tell him how great he was what infinite possibilities were displayed in his work what excellence what merit what subtlety of thought what grace of style rant and rave print reams of acclaiming verbosity pronounce orations raise up statues mark the house he lived and starved in with a laudatory medallion and print his once rejected stanzas in every sort of type and fashion from the cheap to the costly teach the multitude how worthy he was to be loved and honoured and never fear that he will move from his rigid and chill repose to be happy for once in his life and to learn with amazement that the world he toiled so patiently for is actually learning to be grateful for his existence once dead and buried he can be safely made glorious he cannot affront us either with his superior intelligence or make us envy the splendours of his fame some such thoughts as these passed through alwyn's mind as he dreamily gazed into the red hollows of the fire and reconsidered all that his friend had told him he had no personal acquaintances on the press no literary club or clique to haul him up into the top gallant mast of renown by persistent puffery he was not related even distantly to any great personage either statesman professor or divine he had not the mysterious recommendation of being a university man none of the many wheels within wheels which are nowadays so frequently set in motion to make up a momentary literary furore were his to command and yet the parthenon had praised him wonder of wonders the parthenon was a singularly obtuse journal which glanced at the whole world of letters merely through the eyes of three or four men of distinctly narrow and egotistical opinions and these three or four men kept it as much as possible to themselves 
using its columns chiefly for the purpose of admiring one another as a consequence of this restricted arrangement very few outsiders could expect to be noticed for their work unless they were in the set or at least had occasionally dined with one of the mystic three or four and so it had chanced that alwyn's first venture into literature had been totally disregarded by the parthenon in fact that first venture being a small and unobtrusive book had most probably been thrown into the waste-paper basket or sold for a few pence to the second-hand dealer and now now because he had been imagined dead the parthenon's leading critic had singled him out and held him up for universal admiration well well after all nurhalma was a posthumous work it had been written before ages since when he as saluma had perished ere he had had time to give it to the world he had merely remembered it drawn it forth again as it were from the dim deep vistas of past deeds so those who had reviewed it as the production of one dead in youth were right in their judgment though they did not know it it was old nothing but repetition but now he had something new and true and passionate to say something that if god pleased it should be his to utter with the clearness and forcibleness common to the greek thunderers of yore who spoke out what was in them grandly simply and with the fearless majesty of thought that reeked nothing of opinions oh he would rouse the hearts of men from paltry greed and covetousness from lust and hatred and all things evil no matter if he lost his own life in the effort he would still do his utmost best to lift if only in a small degree the deepening weight of self-wrought agony from self-blinded mankind yes he must work to fulfil the commands and deserve the blessings of edris edris ah the memory of her pure angel loveliness rushed upon him like a flood of invigorating warmth and light and when he looked up from his brief reverie his countenance beautiful and kindling with inward ardour affected Delia strangely almost as a very grand and perfect strain of music might affect and unsteady one's nerves the attraction he had always felt for his poet friend deepened to quite a fervent intensity of admiration but he was not the man to betray his feelings outwardly and to shake off his emotion he rushed into speech again by the bye alwyn your old acquaintance professor moxall is very much down on your book you know he doesn't write reviews except on matters connected with evolutionary phenomena but i met him the other day and he was quite upset about you too transcendental he said dismally shaking his bald pate to and fro the whole poem is a vaporous tissue of absurd impossibilities ah dear dear me what a terrible falling off in a young man of such hopeful ability i thought he had done with poetry for ever i took the greatest pains to prove to him what a ridiculous pastime it was and how unworthy to be considered for a moment seriously as an art and he seemed to understand my reasoning thoroughly indeed he promised to be one of our most powerful adherents he had an excellent grasp of the material sciences and a fine contempt for religion why with such a quick analytical brain as his he might have carried on darwin's researches to an extremer point of the origination of species than has yet been reached all a ruin sir a positive ruin a man who will in cold blood write such lines as these grander is death than life and sweeter far the splendours of the infinite future than our eyes weary with tearful watching yet can see condemns himself as a positive lunatic and young alwyn too he who had so completely recognised the foolishness and futility of expecting any other life than this one good heavens nurhalma as i understand it is a sort of pagan poem 
but with such incredible ideas and sentiments as are expressed in it the author might as well go and be a christian at once and with that he hobbled off for it was sunday afternoon and he was on his way to st george's hall to delight the assembled sceptics by telling them in an elaborate lecture what absurd animalculi they all were alwyn smiled there was a soft light in his eyes an expression of serene contentment on his face poor old moxall he said gently i am sorry for him he makes life very desolate both for himself and others who accept his theories i am afraid his disappointment in me will have to continue for as it happens i am a christian that is so far as i can in my unworthiness be a follower of a faith so grand and pure and true Villiers started his mouth opened in sheer astonishment he could scarcely believe his own ears and he uttered some sound between a gasp and an exclamation of incredulity alwyn met his widely wondering gaze with a most sweet and unembarrassed calm how amazed you look he observed half playfully religion must be at a very low ebb if in a so-called christian country you are surprised to hear a man openly acknowledge himself a disciple of the christian creed there was a brief pause during which the chiming clock rang out the hour musically on the stillness and though you are still in a state of most profound bewilderment sat down deliberately in a chair opposite alwyn's and placed one hand familiarly on his knee look here old fellow he said impressively do you really mean it are you going over to some church or other alwyn laughed his friend's anxiety was so genuine not i he responded promptly don't be alarmed villiers i am not a convert to any particular set form of faith what i care for is the faith itself one can follow and serve christ without any church dogma he has himself told us plainly in words simple enough for a child to understand what he would have us to do and though i like many others must regret the absence of a true universal church where the servants of christ may meet all together without a shadow of difference in opinion and worship him as he should be worshipped still that is no reason why i should refrain from endeavouring to fulfil as far as in me lies my personal duty toward him the fact is christianity has never yet been rightly taught grasped or comprehended moreover as long as men seek through it their own worldly advantage it never will be so that the majority of the people are really as yet ignorant of its true spiritual meaning thanks to the quarrels and differences of sects and preachers but notwithstanding the unhappy position of religion at the present day i repeat i am a christian if love for christ and implicit belief in him can make me so he spoke simply and without the slightest affectation of reserve villiers was still puzzled i thought alwyn he ventured to say presently with some little diffidence that you entirely rejected the idea of christ's divinity as a mere superstition in dense ignorance of the extent of god's possibilities i certainly did so returned alwyn quietly but i have had good reason to see that my own inability to comprehend supernatural causes was entirely to blame for that rejection are we able to explain all the numerous and complex variations and manifestations of matter no then why do we dare to doubt the certainly conceivable variations and manifestations of spirit the doctrine of a purely human christ is untenable a creed founded on that idea alone would make no way with the immortal aspirations of the soul what link could there be between a mere man like ourselves and heaven none whatever it needs the divine in christ to overleap the darkness of the grave to serve us as the symbol of certain resurrection to teach us that this life is not the all but only one loop in the chain of existence only one 
of the many mansions in the father's house human teachers of high morals there have always been in the world confucius buddha zoroaster socrates plato there is no end to them and their teachings have been valuable so far as they went but even plato's majestic arguments in favour of the immortality of the soul fall short of anything sure and graspable there were so many prefigurements of what was to come just as the sign of the cross was used in the temple of serapis and was held in singular mystic veneration by various tribes of egyptians arabians and indians ages before christ came and now that these prefigurements have resolved themselves into an actual divine symbol the doubting world still hesitates and by this hesitation paralyzes both its will and instinct so that it fails to cut out the core of christianity's true solution or to learn what christ really meant when he said i am the way the truth and the life no man cometh to the father but by me have you ever considered the particular weight of that word man in that text it is rightly specified that no man cometh for there are hosts of other beings in other universes who are not of our puny race and who do not need to be taught either the way truth or life as they know all three and have never lost their knowledge from the beginning his voice quivered a little and he paused billiards watched him with a strange sense of ever-deepening fascination and wonder i've lately studied the whole thing carefully he resumed presently and i see no reason why we who call ourselves a progressive generation should revert back to the old theory of corinthus who as early as sixty-seven years after christ denied his divinity there is nothing new in the hypothesis it is no more original than the doctrine of evolution which was skilfully enough handled by democritus and probably by many another before him voltaire certainly threshed out the subject exhaustively and i think carlyle's address to him on the uselessness of his work is one of the finest of its kind do you remember it billiards shook his head in the negative whereupon alwyn rose and glancing along an evidently well-remembered bookshelf took from thence sartor resartus and turned over the pages quickly here it is and he read out the following passage cease my much-respected herr von voltaire shut thy sweet voice for the task appointed thee seems finished sufficiently hast thou demonstrated this proposition considerable or otherwise that the mythus of the christian religion looks not in the eighteenth century as it did in the eighth alas were thy six-and-thirty quartos and the six-and-thirty thousand other quartos and folios and flying sheets or reams printed before and since on the same subject all needed to convince us of so little but what next wilt thou help us to embody the divine spirit of that religion in a new mythos in a new vehicle and vesture that our souls otherwise too like perishing may live what thou hast no faculty in that kind only a torch for burning and no hammer for building take our thanks then and thyself away villiers smiled and straightened himself in military fashion as was his habit when particularly gratified excellent old twofold drock he murmured sotto voce he had a rugged method of explaining himself but it was decisive enough in all conscience decisive and to the point assented alwyn putting the book back in its place and then confronting his friend and he states precisely what is wanted by the world to-day wanted pressingly eagerly namely that the divine spirit of the christian religion should be set forth in a new vehicle and vesture to keep pace with the advancing inquiry and scientific research of man and truly for this it need only be expounded according to its old pure primal spiritual intention and then the more science progresses the more true will it be proved 
christ distinctly claimed his divinity and everywhere gave manifestations of it of course it can be said that these manifestations rest on testimony and that the testimony was drawn up afterward and is a spurious invention but we have no more proof that it is spurious than we have of footnote c chapter thirteen in alcirus the allusion to orizel homer's iliad being a compilation of several writers and not the work of a homer at all nothing not even the events of the past week can be safely rested on absolute undiffering testimony inasmuch as no two narrators tell the same story alike but all the same we have the iliad it cannot be taken from us by any amount of argument and we have the fruits of christ's gospel half obscured as it is visible among us everywhere civilization of a high and aspiring order has followed christianity even at the cost of blood and tears slavery has been abolished and women lifted from unspeakable degradation to honour and reverence and had men been more reasonable and self-controlled the purifying work would have been done peacefully and without persecution it was st paul's preaching that upset all the beautiful pristine simplicity of the faith it is very evident he had no calling or election such as he pretended i wonder jeremy bentham's conclusive book on the subject is not more universally known paul's sermonizing gave rise to a thousand different shades of opinion and argument and for a mere hair's breadth of needless discussion nation has fought against nation and man against man till the very name of religion has been made a ghastly mockery that however is not the fault of christianity but the fault of those who profess to follow it like paul while merely following a scheme of their own personal advantage or convenience and the result of it all is that at this very moment there is not a church in christendom where christ's actual commands are really and to the letter fulfilled strong ejaculated villiers with a slight smile mustn't say that before a clergyman why not demanded alwyn why should not clerics be told once and for all how ill they perform their sacred mission look at the wilderness of spreading atheism to-day and look at the multitudes of men and women who are hungering and thirsting for a greater comprehension of spiritual things than they have hitherto had and yet the preachers trudge drowsily on in the old ruts they have made for themselves and give neither sympathy nor heed to the increasing pain feverish bewilderment and positive want of those they profess to guide concerning science too what is the good of telling a toiling more or less suffering race that there are eighteen millions of suns in the milky way and that viewed by the immensity of the universe man is nothing but a small mean and perishable insect humanity hears the statement with dull perplexed brain and its weight of sorrow is doubled it demands at once why if an insect its insect life should be at all if nothing is to come of it but weariness and woe the marvels of scientific discovery offer no solace to the huge majority of the afflicted unless we point the lesson that the soul of man is destined to live through more than these wonders and that the millions of planetary systems in the milky way of the sublime hereafter which is our natural heritage if we will but set ourselves earnestly to win it moreover we should not foolishly imagine that we are to lead good lives merely for the sake of some suggested reward or wages no but simply because in practising progressive good we are equalising ourselves and placing ourselves in active working harmony with the whole progressive good of the creator's plan we have no more right to do a deliberately evil thing than a musician has a right to spoil a melody by a false note on his instrument why should we willingly jar god's music of which we are a part i tell you that religion as taught to-day is rather one of custom and fear than love and confidence men cower and propitiate 
when they should be full of thankfulness and praise and as for any reserve on these matters i have none in fact i fail to see why truth spiritual truth should not be openly proclaimed now even as it is sure to be proclaimed hereafter his manner had warmed with his words and he lifted his head with an involuntary gesture of eloquent resolve his eyes flashing splendid scorn for all things hypocritical and mean Villiers looked at him feeling curiously moved and impressed by his fervent earnestness well i was right in one thing at any rate alwyn he said softly you are changed there is not a doubt about it but it seems to me the change is distinctly for the better it does my heart good to hear you speak with such distinct and manly emphasis on a subject which though it is one of the burning questions of the day is too often treated irreverently or altogether dismissed with a few sentences of languid banter or cheap sarcasm as regards myself personally i must say that a man without faith in anything but himself has always seemed to me exactly in keeping with the description given of an atheist by lady ashburton to carlyle namely a person who robs himself not only of clothes but of flesh as well and walks about the world in his bones and oddly enough in spite of all the controversies going on about christianity i have always really worshipped christ in my heart of hearts and yet i can't go to church i seem to lose the idea of him altogether there but and his frank face took upon itself a dreamy light of deep feeling there are times when walking alone in the fields or through a very quiet grove of trees or on the seashore i begin to think of his majestic life and death and the immense unfailing sympathy he showed for every sort of human suffering and then i can really believe in him as divine friend comrade teacher and king and i am scarcely able to decide which is the deepest emotion in my mind toward him love or reverence he paused alwyn's eyes rested upon him with a quick comprehensive friendliness in one exchange of looks the two men became mutually aware of the strong undercurrents of thought that lay beneath each other's individual surface history and that perhaps had never been so clearly recognized before and a kind of swift speechless satisfactory agreement between their two separate natures seemed suddenly drawn up ratified and sealed in a glance i have often thought continued villiers more lightly and smiling as he spoke that we are all angels or devils angels in our best moments devils in our worst if we could only keep the best moments always uppermost ah poor deluded human nature as old moxwell says while in the same breath he contradicts himself by asserting that human reason is the only infallible means of ascertaining anything how it can be deluded and infallible at the same time i can't quite understand but alwyn you haven't told me how you like the get-up of your book and he handed the volume in question to its author who turned it over with the most curious air of careless recognition in his fancy he again saw Zabastes writing each line of it down to saluma's dictation it's very well printed he said at last and very tastefully bound you have superintended the work con amore Villiers, and i am as obliged to you as friendship will let me be you know what that means it means no obligation at all declared Villiers gaily because friends who are the least worthy the name take delight in furthering each other's interests and have no need to be thanked for doing what is particularly agreeable to them you really like the appearance of it then but you've got the sixth edition this is the first and he took up from a side table a quaint small quarto bound in a very superb imitation of old embossed leather which alwyn beholding was at once struck by the resemblance it bore to the elaborate designs that had adorned the covers of the papyrus volumes possessed by his shadow self saluma this is very sumptuous he said with a dreamy smile it looks quite antique doesn't it exclaimed villiers delighted i had it copied from a first edition of petrarca 
which happens to be in my collection this specimen of nirhama has become valuable and unique it was published at ten and six and can't be got anywhere under five or six guineas if for that of course a copy of each edition has been set aside for you alwyn laid down the book with a gentle indifference my dear fellow i've had enough of nirhama he said i'll keep a copy of the first edition if only as a souvenir of your goodwill and energy in bringing it out so admirably but for the rest the book belongs to me no more but to the public and so let the public do with it what they will villiers raised his eyebrows perplexedly i believe after all alwyn you don't really care for your fame not in the least replied alwyn laughing why should i you long for it once as the utmost good true but there are other utmost goods my friend that i desire more keenly but are they attainable queried villiers men and especially poets often hanker after what is not possible to secure granted responded alwyn cheerfully but i do not crave for the impossible i only seek to recover what i have lost and that is what most men have lost or are insanely doing their best to lose said alwyn meditatively a grasp of things eternal through the veil of things temporal there was a short silence during which villiers eyed his friend wistfully what was that adventure you spoke about in your letter from the monastery on the pass of dariel he asked after a while you said you were on the search for a new sensation did you experience it alwyn smiled i certainly did did it arise from a contemplation of the sight of the ruins of babylon not exactly babylon or rather the earth mounds which are now called babylon had very little to do with it don't you want to tell me about it demanded villiers abruptly not just yet answered alwyn with good-humoured frankness not to-night at any rate but i will tell you never fear for the present we've talked enough don't you think bed suggests itself as a fitting conclusion to our converse villiers laughed and acquiesced and after pressing his friend to partake of something in the way of supper which refreshment was declined he preceded him to a small pleasantly cosy room his guest chamber as he called it but which was really almost exclusively set apart for alwyn's use alone and was always in readiness for him whenever he chose to occupy it turning on the pretty electric lamp that lit the whole apartment with a soft and shaded lustre villiers shook hands heartily with his old schoolfellow and favourite comrade and bidding him a brief but cordial good-night left him to repose as soon as he was alone alwyn took out from his breast-pocket a small velvet letter-case from which he gently drew forth a slightly pressed but unfaded white flower setting this in a glass of water he placed it near his bed and watched it for a moment delicately and gradually its pressed petals expanded its golden corolla brightened in hue a subtle sweet odour permeated the air and soon the angelic immortelle of the field of ardath shone wondrously as a white star in the quiet room and when the lamp was extinguished and the poet slept that strange fair blossom seemed to watch him like a soft luminous eye in the darkness a symbol of things divine and lasting a token of far and brilliant worlds where even flowers cannot fade End of chapter thirty two